Hey folks, Jeff Salzman here and welcome to the Daily Evolver. Thank you for tuning in. Again, you can find all of my stuff at dailyevolver.com, most of it at Integral Life. And I show up here on integrallive.com uh, every Tuesday and Thursday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time. And it's fun to have you here live. So thank you for that. And I've been really looking forward all morning <laughs> to doing this episode because it's not about politics, sort of. It's about food politics in a way, but in a fun way. And, um, and, I, and I'm happy to sort of be in this territory because one of the upsides of my inability to ingest round-the-clock news coverage the way I used to is that I'm broadening my horizons. I'm reading more. I'm When I am watching TV, I'm more adventuresome and trying new things. And so on Saturday, I try to show that I've been reading about and I was interested in. And it's a new food show on Netflix called Ugly Beautiful. And I was really impressed by it. And I wanted to share on this on a daily evolver about it because I really do think that it has a de facto integral transmission. And that's one of the things that I'm doing here is I'm trying to see how integral consciousness and integral culture is arising under its own power. It doesn't have to be named that people don't have to be conscious of it, but there it is. It's integrating opposites. It's integrating, making two things into one new, bigger, better thing. And, um, and so, you know, that's how it works. And this show is a perfect example of one of the engines of evolution, if you will. And that is that development moves, moves forward by differentiating and integrating. The, the process of dif differentiation and integration. So we have atoms that differentiate and become molecules. Molecules into cells, cells into organs. We know that whole sort of sequence. And so it is also with cultural evolution. We differentiate ideas, perspectives, worldviews. So that differentiation is always not always pretty and often painful, but we see them as separate things. We tear them apart, tease them apart into separate things. And then we integrate, which is the process of taking what's needed from each in order to move forward into something that's not just the sum of the parts, but a new order of being, a novel new thing in the whole cosmos. And so, so yeah, so in the cultural side of the street, the collective interior, we are doing that with ideas and perspectives and worldviews. Uh, right up to these sort of meta worldviews, or I always love what Steve McIntosh describes as these enduring polarities, these meta worldviews that show up in all aspects of life. It's like we're wired, like the main one being the conservative impulse and the progressive impulse. The impulse to have the foot in the brake and say, hey, wait a second, there's beautiful, rich value here and our traditional way of life. And we want to appreciate that and nurture that. And then there's the progressive impulse or the foot on the gas, which says that, yeah, well, you know what? <laughs> this traditional things has some problems. And besides, I am 
bored out of my mind and I just have to keep moving. So there they are, these two things, they, they just sort of power the cosmos and they apply to everything in human affairs. Politics, most vividly, of course, and painfully, as we slug our way forward to these midterms. But again, also in terms of culture and all of its aspects, which may, brings me to this show, Ugly Delicious, which is, uh, shows the, how this conservative and progressive polarity works in food and how potent it is when they integrate. So again, Ugly Delicious on Netflix. It is starring David Chang, who is an, I guess, established celebrity chef. He started Mama Fuko restaurants, has won the David Beard Award, and is a big deal in the cooking world. And as they describe the show in the description, I mean, when I read it, it was just like my integral glands started pumping. The, the, the one sentence was so perfect. It says, each episode highlights one dish or concept and explores how it is made in different regions and how it evolves. So that's so cool. Each episode highlights one dish or concept and explores how it is made in different regions. So that differentiation and then how it evolves, that integration. And I can't put it any better than that. And that's exactly what the show does do. And I loved it. And there are eight episodes. I haven't watched them all, but there's an episode of pizza, of tacos, on barbecue, and how human beings all over the place have done it their way and what it means to appreciate each one of those in its particularity and also liberate them into what might be new. And that process itself is a practice that is fun to do with food instead of, you know, just our thoughts and all these other things that we practice with. So I'm going to start with a clip from um, the, the more traditional side of the street. And there's an interview that they have with Antonio Pace, who is the president of the Association of Pizza Napolitana in Naples, Italy. And it's an association that certifies how pizza ought to be made because pizza started in Naples 300 years ago, as he put it, back when you were fighting the Indians. And, you know, it has spread all over the world and they want to certify how it should be made so that it's authentic to this Napolese tradition. And it's a tradition of a yeasty crust, tomatoes, buffalo mozzarella, minimal toppings, and that's how it works. So I'm not going to play that because it's in Italian. And if you're just listening, you won't be able to understand it. But he's cool and he's cute. And, uh, and he, he really means it. He has, uh, he has certified the, the uh, Nepalese way of making pizza. And people all over the world have his certificate. So one of the pizzerias that they uh, feature in the show is called Tatados in Brooklyn. It's very famous. It's uh, one of the oldest pizzerias in the country. I'm going to play a clip where they'll make some claims. And, um, and they have this tradition of how pizza ought to be made and how it ought not be made. And it's very cool. So here it is. We 
are the oldest pizzeria in the world by the same family, and we look at 92 years. My grandfather, Anthony Piero, brought pizza to America. It's been the same recipe from day one. You know, you don't fix something that isn't broken. What could I cook? Could you get a pizza in California? No. <laughs> no. That's kind of what I thought she'd say. How do you feel about Chicago? I, no. <laughs> See, you're asking these questions and you haven't even eaten our pizza. If you ate the pizza, you wouldn't ask these questions. See what I'm saying? Why you have to talk to her? I grew up in New Haven, Connecticut, where it's known to have the best pizza, Pepe's. And I will say Totano's by far the best pizza. You should come here in the summer. You have to wait an hour and a half around the block in a line to get into here. One topping you should never put on. Pineapple and chicken. Pineapple! Pineapple! Ham, pineapple, and chicken. And clams. Oh, no clams. You want clams? Have spaghetti and clams. That's where it belongs. <laughs> That's where clams belong on spaghetti. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's Cookie from Tatino's uh, uh, in Brooklyn. And you want clams on spaghetti? You want clams? You have it on spaghetti, not on pizza. That's where it belongs, on spaghetti. And that is just that traditional thing. And there's a deep satisfaction and even a relaxation, I can feel it myself, of just knowing what's what and what belongs where and what doesn't belong where. And, um, and, and to go back to Antonio Pace, the president of the Association of Pizza Napolitana, he said in his interview that for us, Neapolitan pizza is a philosophy of life. When we were, uh, uh, so, so it's a philosophy of life. And we want to feel that philosophy of life or feel that traditional uh, uh, louche, you know, that karmic generation after generation of grandmothers and pizzerias and how that really feels and what it is to eat that. And I think about in my own life what I am really rooted in the traditional with. A lot of things, actually, uh, is particularly in the food world. I, 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 I think I, I've discovered that I'm arrested at the traditional stage of development in the culinary line. It's actually serious. So my thing that I want to be pure in the way that it has always been from my grandmother and her mother and so forth is a cherry pie. And my grandmother made them, and my grandmother had a cherry orchard, and I as a child would pick the cherries. And these are those red pie cherries that you, um, that have to be eaten that day. You can't even, you don't even want to refrigerate them overnight. You never see them in the store. They, they're from those pie cherry trees. You can get them canned and frozen. They're adequate, but nothing like that uh, life force of a fresh pie cherry. And my grandmother's recipe was uh, a lard crust, which I don't do, but the interior, cherries, white sugar, not raw sugar, none of this other stuff, white sugar, processed sugar, and a little bit of almond extract. And that is just, you know, for me, perfection. We have a local bakery here about a block and a half away that I could go to if I liked their recipes better because 
what what actually like turned me completely off to them is that they put cinnamon in their cherry pie and i i was actually offended it's like cinnamon belongs on apple pie cinnamon is a fall spice not a spring spice like cherries and you know, I remember going to one of the grocery stores and getting what I thought was a cherry pie because I thought at least, you know, whatever, I could have a cherry pie. And I bit into it and I was like, what's going on here? And it turns out that there were chunks of chocolate in this cherry pie. And again, I was offended. It's like, if you want chocolates and cherries together, it's two of my favorite things. Uh, and I love them separately, but if you have to put them together, you do chocolate-covered cherries, which are also exquisite, but you don't do chocolate and cherry pie. And that's just the way it is. And I feel that way about potato chips. I don't want the, what's this with flavored potato chips, these kettle potato chips, even ridges. I don't, potato chips are impossibly thin sliced potatoes deep fried with salt. So... You know, I do notice that in myself. And there's nothing like biting into a cherry pie that's just the way it's supposed to be. I mean, there's something that just opens up to my whole family history. And I love it. And I am a devoted cook, actually. I love cooking. But I almost never try something new. I'm, I'm going to try to try something new just because I want to break out of this thing. But my natural inclination is to make the things my mother made when I was a kid, but make them impeccably. I mean, she was a weeknight cook when she made vegetable soup she put in a can of veg all. I use fresh vegetables if I can, or the best I could get. And, you know, I sweat them and I uh, sear the beef and, you know, I do all whatever. But the idea is to make it as perfect as it is in my memory. And, you know, all of the imperfections of a weeknight cook are forgiven in my memory. And my mother was a good cook. So that's, you know, the, the sauerkraut and pork. I mean, I can't get that at a restaurant. I can't get my mother's vegetable soup. I can't get her meatballs. I can't get her pigs in the blanket. Uh, so I make them myself. And that's, you know, that's what it is to be arrested at the culinary line of development. So, all right. So they have that. And then they start to attack this idea after they sort of revel in this idea of this, you know, traditional one way it is and, and isn't. They start attacking that. And so I'm going to play the next one. So you've been to Italy before? Never in Naples. Never in Naples. It's this one. We're in the back streets of Naples. I love I know, this right now. I can't quite get over how pretty it is. I mean, I feel like there's like an almost obsession with the idea of Neapolitan pizza being the first pizza or the place that pizza comes from. It, it's a romantic story. Yeah. I don't buy so deeply into the idea of bread topped with things came from one place, one time. I feel like as soon as humans figured out how to mix wheat and water, they probably started putting shit on it to try to make it taste better. But you know, it, it is their culture. Right, you know, so I, I guess we have to respect it. I wish I had taken the line of respecting it, but now I'm just the asshole criticizing it. <laughs> I, I wish I had taken the line of respecting it, but now I'm the asshole who's criticizing it. But yeah, so we could begin to feel a little, uh, you know, held in by these traditions. 
And so then we move to a, um, the next one where they go to Copenhagen and they meet with the famous chef, I'm forgetting his name, who is uh, making even Italian pizza, but doing it Danish style. So here we go. Some things become special when you try and find your own way. The starting point was to do something authentic by not trying to be authentic. I think that's a big flaw in the world of pizza particularly. It is the most Italian thing, but if you only look at how it's used to be done or how it's supposed to be done, you don't allow yourself to move it forward. If you do an authentic Neapolitan pizza, you must import buffalo mozzarella from the Campania region. Now, who makes these rules? <laughs> has an obvious interest in the export of buffalo mozzarella. So how, how is it that you can be told that freshness is everything? That in, in Naples, they say, you have 24 different mozzarellas for every hour after it's been produced. But still, you need to buy it and import, and it's going to take you seven days to get it to Copenhagen. Like, it, it didn't make sense to me. I need freshness. We'll need to make it ourselves. You taught yourself how to make it. YouTube. YouTube. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of YouTube, a lot of research, a lot of experimenting, and a lot of shit mozzarella. Then last year, we got cows. We got our own milk from our own herd of Jersey cows. The mozzarella just poof, was like magical dust on it. It was like, it was crazy. Much, much better. All right, so did a couple things differently. Buffalo mozzarella, they have buffalo, real buffalo that they imported centuries ago from Africa in Naples, and that's buffalo mozzarella. But they don't have those in Denmark, but they have Jersey cows. And uh, just this idea of shucking off the particularities and seeing that it doesn't make sense when you import the buffalo mozzarella. It's not as good as it is when it's in Italy. And it's just this sense of, and furthermore, <laughs> these people have a financial interest in buffalo mozzarella. So I'm suspicious, and that's a sort of a modern view of uh, money view of traditions, seeing how traditionalists actually, you know, spin the game for their benefits. It's, it's what they do. It's what we do when we're at that stage. So it's not unlike the band of young warriors who eventually defy the chief or the spirits and go out and start a whole new series of conquests and it's a whole new, in, in this case, movement from one stage of development to the next. And indeed this happens. And so they interview Wolfgang Puck, who started a pizza empire with all of these funny cilantro pizzas and buffalo chicken and uh, uh, barbecue chicken, I'm sorry, and, and, and made them frozen and, and pissed everybody off, but became super wealthy with Spagos and the frozen food. And, uh, and they treat that with respect and they treat him with respect. And, and then they, they end up in Tokyo where they interview a chef, his name is Ryu Yoshimura. And he was trained as a young man in Naples, Italy to make pizzas. And they have the beginning of a really interesting conversation. I wish they had continued it. Uh, they cut it off too soon, in my opinion. And I don't think that actually David Chang was getting what Yoshimura was saying. But he was talking about his pizza in Tokyo, where it's essentially a sushi pizza with raw fish and ginger and um, 
And, and it's beautiful. Again, I play the uh, clip, but it's not going to make any sense if you listen to it, which most, most of my listeners do, because it's a lot of Japanese. Uh, so, but it's an interesting discussion because he says, I don't see myself. Remember, he's, he's trained in Naples. He's now working in, in Tokyo doing a completely different pizza. But he said, I'm not doing fusion. I'm doing, um, he doesn't use the word integration, but he says, I, I don't want to mix. I actually want a new indigenous, a new rooted tradition that's rooted in Japan, just as it's rooted, the Nepalese pizza is rooted in Naples, in Italy. And he talks about how, well, the pizza that he serves them, instead of using tomatoes, uh, well, first of all, he serves it and they love it. And it's like, what is this sauce? And it turns out that it's mayonnaise and corn. Which actually doesn't sound that great, but I bet it is. <laughs> and it's tuna and so forth. And he talks about how in Japan, the tuna tastes different every day that they bring it in from the ocean. And you have to take that into account. Just like in Naples, the, buff the buffalo mozzarella is different every hour after it's made. So um, they love it, and it shows just how far you can go, and, um, and it's really uh, very cool. So, I, um, uh, so you would think the traditionalists are going crazy and with all this progressive stuff going on, and they're, they're, it is, but it's only food, so it, it, it doesn't get too crazy. Uh, I think back at Cookie at the Totino's in, um, in Brooklyn. Uh, but also Antonio Pace, again, the president of the Pizza Napolitana. And at the end, he does this wry little bit that's very cute, and, and, it's, and I loved it. He said, I went to Japan last year, and I told our Japanese members that I was pleased for the extremely high level of their product. Then I said, now please stop improving, because if you make pizza better than we do, I'll get really angry. So a playful uh, sort of way of uh, accepting and, you know, expanding to include what's new. And, uh, and that's typical of the whole show. It has a playfulness to it that I think is also just a marker of integral consciousness, honestly. And, and I have to say, I was, when, when I was watching it, because this guy's a big time chef and, and you know, fancy food and, and, and he's, you know, moved the ball and all of that stuff. And I just was thinking to myself as I was watching this, I was thinking, okay, you're going to get really integral if you go to Pizza Hut and you take on the whole pizza industrial complex. And you know what? He did. He didn't go to Pizza Hut, but he went to Domino's. And... He, they did a segment in Domino's. He actually delivered pizza with a pizza delivery guy. And he went back in the kitchen and his, he commented, he realized that Domino's is more than a pizza company. It's a technology company because what they're doing is turning out pizzas, you know, like clockwork with these computerized machines where you could follow with the app on your phone where your pizza is in this process and when it gets in the car and when it's on its way to you. And and, and as uh, David Chang said, and I love Domino's. I order Domino's a couple times a month, or not a couple times a month, or one, once every couple months. And, uh, you know, he was talking about for what it is, when it's done well, and sometimes Domino's isn't done well, but when it is, it's a good pizza. 
So I, um, I thought that was really cool. All right, so the last clip I want to play is where I thought he got really integral, and I was so pleased and, and surprised, and it's such a, you know, I'm such a devotee to this guy, even though I, in later episodes, I have to say I quibbled with some ways he thought, but still, he's, he's, he's in, in this segment particularly, he really sums up what I think is a beautiful integral koan, so I'll play that. I view authenticity like a totalitarian state. It's something that I think has been overvalued, but reality is it hasn't been scrutinized enough. If you really boil it down to why food in Italy is gonna be so good, it's because you're there. The terroir makes a big difference. There's microorganisms. There's the people there. There's the smells. It's, it's what makes it. It's not that I hate authenticity. I hate that people want this singular thing that is authentic. There are people that are making Italian food that are more Italian in its idea and thesis than anyone in Italy's making because they're not using anything that's imported. They're using everything that's around them. So yeah, I think uh, really a, a good integral koan. Uh, the authenticity he says he thinks that it's overvalued, but not scrutinized enough. And I just think that is worth pondering. And it is a good integral practice. And like I said, a fun one. There's a couple more shows that I, um, I, I love that I will possibly uh, get to. One of them is also on Netflix. And it is called Salt, Fat, Acid, and Heat by Salmon Nostrat, who is a chef and a food writer. And she has come up with this astonishing thesis. It was astonishing to her when she came up with it. And it's, it was to me as well. And it, it sort of also rang my integral chimes. And she has, you know, decided and devised this system whereby all food is a... Um, some combination of salt, fat, acid, and heat. And no matter what cuisine you go to, these are the sort of building blocks of that. And so I'm gonna check that out. And if I think it's worthy, I'll share it with you. Okay, folks, well, that's it for today. Again, the show is called Ugly Delicious. It's on Netflix and it stars David Chang and his posse of interesting chefs and people and they go all over the place and, and I think integrate uh, the, the food scene in a way that is really exciting. So check it out and thanks for listening and come back again next time for The Daily Evolver and I'll see you then. All right, bye folks.